Welcome back to the Inclusive and Online Podcast. My name is Dan. I'm Kate. And I'm Kayla. And together we're your hosts for the Inclusive and Online Podcast. On this month's episode, we explore identity from a different angle than before. We've spoken in the past on intersectionality and how various elements of people's identities can come together to shape how that person experiences and interacts with the world. In this week's in this week's episode, we'll be digging a bit deeper into multiple intersecting identities, specifically when it comes to race and developing one's racial identity. I recently had one of my students share a video his church made featuring him telling a story. He talked about how he struggled with relating to his multiple cultural identities throughout his life. The situation stood out to me because it never occurred to me. I've always been able to quickly, without thinking, check the box next to the word white and move on with my day. I didn't really connect with how important this issue is for so many people. Although we do not personally have experience with being multiracial, we are hoping to learn from someone who does not have ex- or who does have experience with being a part of multiple cultural identities and how it may impact someone pursuing higher education. Well, we decided to ask my student if he'd be interested in sharing his story on the podcast, and he happily accepted. We'd like to welcome Brian Petty to the podcast. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Uh, tell the audience uh, a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. Um, as you know, I'm Brian, Brian Petty. I am currently working at Rochester University, where I'm also pursuing my master's in organizational leadership at Oakland University. So here at Rochester University, I get the privilege and honor to be a resident director, uh, which is so fun. Um, got started this job in July 2020, so in the beginning of the pandemic, which has been a fun little adventure trying to navigate that. But then it's been a little bit like a relaxing vacation now that the pandemic is over. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of easier and fun. Um, and as well as I'm the student activities coordinator. So I get to work closely with our community programming board and plan different fun events for the community and student body as a whole. Um, but my journey in Detroit, Michigan in the 90s to a a multiracial family. So my mom is Korean and my dad is Black. They met when my dad was stationed in Korea in the military in the 90s. Um, came here. I have three older sisters. Um, and so we have just, in my entire life growing up, I thought we were the only multiracial family that I kind of knew of. Um, but that has been such a huge part of my story and part of who I am. And part of the work that I hope to do in the future as well is focusing on the multiracial family and biracial individual. And um, yeah, my journey has been non-traditional in a sense of who I am and how I identify and what I believe and um, how I see myself as well. Um, but as a whole, I have come to a beautiful place of really embracing all of who I am and really loving all of who I am in every area as well. Well, it is so nice to meet you, Brian. Well, we're just going to jump right into the questions. Um, what was it like growing up in a household with two different cultures? Yeah, Kayla, as I mentioned, um, growing up, I had a Black father and a Korean mother. And so my mom immigrated here a little over 30 years now. And so growing up, it felt very, I didn't know anything different. I almost thought everyone grew up in a multiracial family. But then I realized and slowly learned, learned over time that that is not true at all, um, and that everyone doesn't have the same experiences as I do. And that's okay as well. Um, I think there was moments of confusion, but also moments of like, oh, this is normal. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't normal, it was pretty different. Um, and 
thankfully and in a beautiful way is becoming a little bit more normal or more common is a question is more of the better response is becoming more common of having multiracial families inside the families and so growing up in the household there was a tension that I always had of you know outside of my house I felt one way to pursue this American lifestyle, American culture, and trying my best to fit in. But then within the household, within my family, um, there was a huge emphasis on the Asian culture, um, with my mom being mostly a stay-at-home mom for the majority of my life, where she put a lot of that Asian and Korean culture inside of us, um, of the way that we ate food, the way that we had to do our homework, the way that we were limited on TV and video games. There was a very Asian culture setting. Uh, and so growing up, that was very interesting because I felt like I was living this double life. And honestly, for my entire life, I always have felt this double life that I have to always be more than one Brian, that I have to be a Black Brian or an Asian Brian or an American Brian. And I can't just be Brian. And I think now I'm learning how to use that all into one Brian. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear about how you kind of would put on these different identities in different situations. Um, and and you addressed that a little bit in the more than or two or more video that you created with Kensington Church. Um, and that was kind of our first introduction to you. Dan shared that video that you had shared um, with Kayla and I. And I think we were all pretty touched by the personal journey that you shared. Um, and you mentioned feeling like you were living divided. Um, and I think you've touched on it a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Living divided for me meant that, so let me take a little step back. We live in a Western culture where we had been super influenced by some great philosophical thinkers, Aristotle, Socrates, and, you know, Plato's, and they taught us the concept of democracy, debate, and dualism, you know, and so it's always this, this or then, black or white, left or right, world and we still live in a lot of that today we still have that same mindset and so growing up society and myself were I felt like I was forced to choose one side that I could only choose to be one and not both and because that it was like they wanted me to split I felt this external pressure to split who I was to be divided uh, to not fully be Brian Petty who is black and Korean um, I had to just be Brian Petty who is something that I really wasn't all the way. And so throughout my time, I have just really journeyed and met some amazing people along the journey and attended some amazing um, classes and workshops that have taught me how to fully embrace myself. And one of them was a workshop called Living Undivided, which is mainly focused on racial reconciliation work. But I realized that I was living divided in myself, that I had this tension inside myself that almost hated each other, um, which learning more about the U.S. history, I learned that like in the 1970s, I believe it was the 1970s, during the L.A. riots, um, there was a huge, a huge incident that happened between the Black community and a Korean beauty shop owner. And it was like convicted of murder. And it was a really big issue that caused a lot of tension between the two racial groups. And I realized learning about that history, I was like, oh my goodness, I almost feel that inside of myself. This is kind of wild that history is almost repeating itself, but within myself as a human being. Um, and so I always felt this, this divide inside myself where I wasn't Black enough to be in the Black community and support the Black community, but yet I didn't feel Asian enough either to feel and support the Asian community. And so I found myself just outside of the two areas that I actually identify with the most and was part of all of who I am and having to choose one that 
isn't really part of who I am. And that was just the majority culture of of America, you know? And kind of adding on to that, I thought it was interesting um, when you discussed being othered. And if you could tell us some more about you know what that means and uh, to be othered and how it affected your sense of self or identity throughout your life. Two or more, we're focused on more, we're focused on multiracial and the biracial individual. And that's not for, it's not excluding the individual who um, identify as like Irish and Italian, you know, like that is definitely being two or more and two or more cultures live within you. And there might be some tension between that as well. But in America, you're not going to be other because of your skin tone or the culture you have, because we have almost assimilated and adopted a lot of the, the cultural and heritage and um, racial um, history inside American culture, while being Black is still a minority culture, being Asian is still a minority culture. And so I oftentimes have felt so othered, where even within my own racial group, people don't look at me sometimes or see me from face value, my skin tone, my phenotype and say, oh yeah, he's an Asian and he's one, he's one of us, or he's black and he's one of us. It's almost like I never felt I was included. Um, it's almost the feeling of like being last one chosen for the kickball team, you know, during recess. And so I always felt other, like sitting alone by myself and having to learn how to navigate that otherness where I always was in the classroom where of majority spaces where I was always the minority in the case where I wasn't whenever some topic talked about like the Korean war, everyone looked at me or even when it was like in classes in college where it's talked about like slavery, I felt like there was eyes on me, you know, that everyone looked to me for my opinion and my thoughts and my, um, my comments on the situation. So this otherness have carried throughout my entire life where it just never felt like I was fully seen for all of who I am. And because of that, I was too different and they just pushed me to the side. That's really interesting the way that you framed that because it, as you were talking, it kind of makes me think of kind of the, the dialogue that people have about visible and invisible um, like identities, you know, whereas, whereas a, a racial identity, you know, people look at someone and they're like, oh, I'm going to immediately put them in that box because they can see that. Whereas with other types of identities, you know, maybe disability, um, sexual orientation, like you might look at someone and not be able to tell. And it's really interesting how you framed that because you have an experience that is similar where people look at you and they're like, I don't know what box to put you in. Um, but they also still see you as different in a way because there is that that visible thing that people see. They're like, it it's it's a very interesting concept with like what you've gone what you've gone through because it's it's unique in a, to a, what a lot of different people's experiences might be. Yeah, yeah, Kate. I I have realized over over time that my story and who I am and the pain and the emotions I go through. Um, yeah, they may be different in certain aspects again, um, but for the majority, the overarching, the umbrella emotion pain of feeling confused, feeling other is so similar. Um, and it's only becoming more common. The 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 pain and the emotion that I'm I'm experiencing or I have experienced um is becoming more common. And the more I have shared my stories to others, they're like, wow, me too. Like, I never knew that. And now you have given me language, Brian, for me to fully express or process this or dive deeper into what I have experienced my entire life. And that is the heart and behind two or more the nonprofit is to help people feel like, wow, I feel finally feel seen. And I finally have some language to express some of this emotional pain that I have. 
and to also hope the future to help the future generation navigate this so it's not as confusing it doesn't feel so heavy or unknown or scary like I don't think my parents which I love them so much but they were not equipped in order to have these conversations and that's just because it was so new um it wasn't until the 1967 in 1967 that loving versus Virginia was legalized in America for interracial marriages not saying that interracial marriages and relationships didn't happen before then but they were technically illegal and so I see myself being born in 1996 and that happening in 1967 I'm pretty like generation one one and a half maybe two if you see it sometimes but I'm on that cuff of the first generation of the byproduct of the legalization of interracial marriages and so a lot of us who identify in the multiracial, the two or more demographic pool, we're still, we're, we're finally becoming of age where we're like identifying and processing a lot of our childhood and like, oh my goodness, I went through this pain. I never knew this. This is part of me. I have always felt this missing part inside my life. I don't know what it is. And now I'm trying to, now I'm hoping to help others navigate through that situation and fully embrace all of who they are. I think it's uh, interesting that you mentioned, you know, now you have the language you know, to describe some of this. And, you know, I've got two young children. I've been doing a lot of work on just kind of understanding emotions because they have strong emotional responses, you know, and so do I. And I never really had a good vocabulary to figure out, you know, what this emotion is, how can I describe it? But I've been putting a lot more effort into that area because without that language, it's going to be hard to come to any kind of understanding. And, you know, if you've spoken to somebody uh, I don't, uh, you know, I don't sign. I'm, I, I don't know ASL, but I have a friend who's deaf and we found a different way to communicate. But before that, we wouldn't have had much of a way to to find that common ground. So I just wanted to stress that, you know, having that language, building that terminology is, is so important. Uh, and I'm glad that you recognize that. Yeah, thank you, um, Dan. I think one of our goals as a nonprofit is that we create curriculum based off almost um, kind of like the grade school system we have in America with elementary, like K through fifth, and then middle school being sixth through eighth, and then high school being ninth through 12th, and even like post high school, so college and adulthood. Um, so we're hoping to create like a four level type of curriculum that will be for the parents, but also for the individual to walk them through this, this identity about development, because that's basically what we're hoping to help help along people along their journey is this, their racial identity development, which is so important to who they are as a person. Um, the more you know who you are, the more confident you are, the more you have um, just freedom and ownership of like what you can do. You just know your potential a little bit more. You can dream a little bit more, um, but also it would just help you along your journey just in life. And so some of the curriculum, like in K through fifth, a lot of the curriculum that we'll focus on or um, target will be on like just skin tone and um, face value, just physical features that you'll see and how these physical features kind of like grow and how it's okay to be different. Um, it's okay to have, you know, being being multiracial, sometimes you have like a bigger nose, but then smaller eyes, because again, you are getting facial features and physical features from two different racial groups and you're going to see them merge and talk about that development and how it all is about and then in middle school, we're going to talk a little bit more about like culturally, like geogra geographically, where are you? Where's your family? Where are the people, your ancestor? Where do they come from? And the history behind that. And then in high school, we're going to dive even deeper into that of that history and talk about like 
what are the, the struggles that your people went through and what have been their journey from coming from wherever they are coming to America? Because I think if we're focusing on the American individual, because I mean, we live in America and that's the people that we'll be focusing on. And I think knowing the American story of where, what your people, your racial people have, group have been through is so important. And then in, high, in college and high school and, and later in life, college and later life, we're hoping to then offer like DNA tests for that individual to physically see like scientifically, which scientific DNA tests are only as effective for the DNA pool that they have, you know, but it's been such an amazing journey for me to take my own DNA test and to see like scientific proven data that says this is how much I am and these are who I am and it's been beautiful as well as taking them on like these cultural civil rights trip um, kind of like a heritage trip and so I got this privilege to go on a little Asian American heritage trip um, in 2021 no 2022 a year ago so sorry um, a year ago where we went to California where California has a huge Asian population because of the location is closer to Asia. Um, and so we, I went through this, this trip and every day we went through a different like almost Asian racial group that had a huge presence in California and learned their struggles and learned their story. And I never knew about like the Chinese exclusion act that we had in America or the Japanese American internment camps that we had. And just so much of this Asian American history that I'm like, yeah, I'm Asian, I'm Asian, I'm Asian. But yeah, I don't even know my own history. And so I don't know how to move forward if I don't even know what the past is. And kind of adding on to that, on our podcast, we focus on inclusivity and in education. Um, can you describe what it was like in your early educational experiences in elementary, middle, and high school being a part of two different cultures? That is such a great question, Kayla. I I struggle so much. And I think we have come, I never want to talk about how much farther we have to go. I like to I like to acknowledge the, the progress we have gone, but growing up, I remember um, we had standardized testing every single year. And part of that standardized testing is writing out your information, your name, your address, and then also writing out your racial background. And a lot of the questions are the, uh, every year when filling out the racial background question, I was only forced to choose one option. And having that force of just choosing one option brought a lot of confusion inside of who I am um, and subconsciously created this identity of like feeling othered. And I think that's where another part of that feeling other was because I said, well, I'm not just Asian. I'm not just Black. I can't just choose one. What boxes am I going to choose? I'm going to choose the other box. And so that I also adopted this other racial box identity because that's all I had to choose every single year taking this standardized testing. And I think over time, it have just really impacted my my confidence of who I am and my value of who I was and just my overall identity. And even with that, um, it was just a struggle and like the knowledge. Again, I never knew about Asian American history until later in life. And so part of it is I'm also not learning about my own culture and history in an accurate way. Um, kind of adding on to lack of representation and your standardized testing. Um, in some of our other episodes, we've discussed lack of representation and educational resources. Representation often refers to how different cultures are are not represented in the content. Has this come up for you? I think um a hundred percent. The quick answer is yes. Um, but I'm trying to expand a little bit more on that, and I think 
again, like I mentioned, I never knew about Asian American culture or history growing up. And a lot of that um, I had to learn on my own or learn through my mother. And so my mother, she has the Korean culture and the heritage and history. And so she does her best job of communicating that and passing it down to us, but also growing up in Detroit, Michigan, which is um, predominantly Black, uh, my mom really suppressed some of that Asian and Korean culture inside of her to share with us because she wanted us to just belong and fit in. And it's almost this survival mentality that a lot of multiracial immigrants have that I knew my mom adopted, which for a while I was in a place of confusion and anger towards her because I'm like, why didn't you teach me? Like, this is so important. This is part of who I am. Like, it's all on you. I blame you. But then I had to step back and I'm like, well, my mom just immigrated here in the 90s into a whole nother country. She didn't fully know the language of English. She didn't really have any type of other family connections. She was all by herself. And she just, she just tried to fit in herself. And she didn't want her own kids to go through the, some of the pain and hurdles that she went through. And so she suppressed some of that history and some of that culture, um, which also impact the education aspect. And I think growing up in Detroit, which is predominantly Black, they focus heavily on the Black culture. Um, so growing up, I knew and felt connected to my Black education and learned about Black history. But even then, I feel like it's limited. I've been learning more about history and how we don't expand on the full story sometime and we only share the good parts of history. Um, but the bad parts are also as good as the good parts are. And good and bad is so subjective. Um, and history is just, it needs to be told the way that it was, that it, that it happened, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the U.S. has got a, a track record, as you mentioned, of discrimination against uh you know, Asian culture and Asian people, Asian Americans. Uh, uh, sticking with education, let's talk a little bit more about your experience in higher education. Compared to your early uh, educational experiences, what was the transition into higher education like for you? So, and I started my higher education experience um, in 2014. So I graduated high school in 2014 and then started my freshman year at Oakland University in 2014 as well. And I love higher education. I mean, I'm working full-time in higher education. It's been great. I'm pursuing a, a, a master's now. So I love higher education as a whole. Uh, and I think one of the biggest things why I love higher education is the emphasis of wanting to learn and grow more. Um, and so coming to Oakland University, I got really connected with the Center for Multicultural Initiative Office, where I got to explore a little bit more about my, my culture background and I got more language and more education to fully express and process some of these thoughts and emotions that I had inside myself, but yet never had the language to share with others. And if it wasn't for the CMI, Center for Multicultural Initiative Office, I don't think I would have had a lot of the development and growth that I have today. Um, and so for me, it wasn't more so in the classroom setting. It was more in the student affairs, um, non-academic setting that really has helped me grow into the person I am today. Yeah. And I think that's that's really helpful for, you know, maybe some of our listeners to note is that there are resources available on campus. And even if you know, you're not getting some of those educational experiences in the classroom. And, you know, maybe you have a major that doesn't relate in any way. Um, there are still those resources that can allow students to explore and, and grow. So I appreciate you mentioning that. There, there's social groups for almost every interest and also for almost every racial 
um, mm -hmm. background or religious background or even sexuality, but there's nothing for the in individual who identifies two or more. And so even mm -hmm. in college, I was forced to like either choose the Black Student Union or like the Asian American Association. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like I can choose either because I'm living not either or. Um, I'm both in. And so one of the goals is that in college, we can start these two or more groups on college campuses, partnering with the multicultural offices on co different college campuses to create a space or create awareness and educational opportunities to help those that identify as two or more, again, have a space for them to like express this pain, this struggle and this tension that they have always dealt with. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, and that's not something that I would have I would have really thought of, um, but I think it's super important to have those spaces where you can come together with people who have, you know, similar shared experiences. Um, so I, I think that's a fabulous idea. Many of the people that we've interviewed have expressed that there was a shift in their experiences in higher education during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, especially when it came to their sense of belonging in the classroom environment. Um, did you experience anything similar? Did anything change for you when you shifted to like an online learning environment? So I actually graduated right before the pandemic started, but um, my experience, I think what has happened with the shift of the pandemic um, is more also the social injustices movement that has really birthed out of the pandemic. I mean, we had currently at that time a president who associated the pandemic to a one race group, and that's it, and called it the Chinese virus, you know, um, which really othered and made the Asian race the enemy, especially the Chinese Americans that were in America at the time. And I think we still have uh, ignorance towards other racial groups and how to how to interact with them but also how they um, we our brains are are formed and we're taught at a young age to just label people and that is just how we do things we want to label things i mean even growing up i mean as a child you'd label you you teach your kid how to label with colors and shapes and sizes and etc so we're always taught from a young age to label things and i think we have labeled people as well um but because of that it has opened i think the door and the opportunity for people to learn and grow and to not be stuck in that hole of like, no, actually, I think this might be wrong. Or I think I almost in this way of deconstructing some of the things that they have learned when they were younger and reconstructing their framework and their knowledge moving forward. And so I think it has opened the door for more of real history of a deeper research into different racial groups, uh, which has been beautiful. So even though my online learning experience have been a little different, I think overall professors and higher education institutions are realizing, wait, there's other racial groups within America that has also been oppressed and have been affected and their stories should also be shared. So how can we pull some of their stories? How can we pull some of their research? How can we pull some of their books and authors into what we're learning into the classrooms? All right, I'm gonna shift gears just a little bit. Um, this is our final question for you. Um, you've talked a little bit about your nonprofit, Two or More. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your plans for the organization? Yeah, so currently we're just gathering people and trying to create a community. And I think that's number one before starting anything is just trying to gather that community and bring people together. Um, so right now we're just interacting with others, sharing the hopes and the future of what we're hoping to do, the vision. We're just casting the vision and the casting the vision um, stage of where we're at, it might last longer than a year. It might last 
it might something burst out of it sooner. Um, but right now we're just hoping to cast a vision to others. Um, and eventually out of that casting vision and gathering that community, we're hoping to read some type of book where they focus on this multicultural identity. Um, so we can kind of have a form, um, a more like common language and common foundation. Because again, that is where we're lacking in this multiracial two or more area is that we don't have the language to express some of these emotions and pains. So we're having to first develop this language. And there's some people that have already done the work. And so we're hoping to tap onto their work that they have done and then build upon that. And if anybody listening right now was interested in getting involved or, or being a part of that community, um, is there any way that they can, what, what steps should they take? Yeah, so right now we're in the process of starting the LLC and falling under a nonprofit and going through the track records of that. Um, it is not an easy process. It's kind of lengthy. And so, um, again, this idea birthed a year ago um, that I felt like just came to me and I shared it with some other individuals and they were like, yes, Brian, we have to do this. So it's a slow progress. Um, but the biggest way we did start a, um, I believe that one day, um, this is totally side tangent, but I believe one day you're going to have to buy um, like Instagram and social media handle names. Like just like you buy a website domain, you're probably going to have to buy a social media handle. Um, and so we have a social media handle and that is on Instagram only right now. And I just reserved it because I said, I don't want anyone else to take, to take it. Um, but that is two or more dot races, um, R-A-C-E-S, so two or more races, but the dot is in between two or more. And that is on Instagram so they can give us a follow, but we have no content on there yet. Um, and it's just because we wanted to reserve the name, but eventually we will have a website. I guess the best way to contact is me directly through me. Um, and so my name is Brian Petty. Um, and if you want my email or, um, I guess the best way is to email the podcast and, you know, it can get forward to me. Absolutely. We can do that. So it, it has to start somewhere, right? And the early stages are, are exciting and we wish you well on that uh, endeavor. And thanks for being here today and sharing your story with us. We really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us and with our listeners. Thank you so much. It really is such an honor to share my story. I really appreciate it. We'd like to thank Brian for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We value your feedback and your ratings and reviews will help others discover our show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at @inclusiveonlinepod. If you'd like to get in touch with us with your ideas, feedback, or request to collaborate, you can send us an email at inclusiveonlinepod at gmail.com. We'll be back next month with our next episode. Until then, we hope you feel included.